Great. It's great to see you, Peter. So good to see you, my friend. Great to see you this morning if you're here visiting us and to everybody else, welcome as well. Great to have my big girl back amongst us for Easter. Okay, we, we as many of you know, we've been looking at some of the uh, minor prophets in the Old Testament, minor in in terms of their shortness, but not minor in terms of their impact. Hopefully you found it helpful because there's often parts of the Bible that we don't dive into very often. But to get a little bit of a handle on the big picture that God brings through his word. And uh, we can often, I think, particularly in our new walk with God, be very much obviously focused on what Jesus says and, and the Gospels and perhaps into Book of Acts and understanding how the church all started and understanding Paul's writings. But it's good for us to look back into Old Testament scripture and see how it's still applicable for us today. This morning, we are looking at the second shortest book in the Old Testament. So we're only going to be 10 minutes as opposed to half an hour. The book of Haggai. The book of Haggai. Now, everybody loves a good underdog story where you want the one who looks like they've been defeated to come back. And uh, I guess in one sense, even Jesus going to the cross, it looked like he'd lost. And yet, as we know, he rose again. Well, the story of the Jews at this particular time is that they are looking like the underdog. If you know anything of the Old Testament story, how God promised them a land of their own, a city of their own, and because of just their own rebellion, and he'd been warning them, and we've heard that in some of the minor prophets as we've been looking at them, we warning them, guys, if you don't turn back to me, I'm going to take you from the land that I've given you. And that's eventually what happened. It's called, they went off into exile to a place called Babylon. And they were there for about 70 years. And then God, in his mercy towards them, and God is a merciful God. He's a God, as Steve reminded us this morning, full of love. Even despite when we get it wrong, even despite in all of our mistakes, he still loves us. And he wanted to say this to his people. And so he promises to them that they will return to the land that he had given them. And so they have been in this process of returning back to Jerusalem. And they've been back about 17 15 to 17 years, they reckon, at the point that Haggai then speaks into their situation. So these are a returned group of people, a people that perhaps on the surface had looked they'd been wiped out, but God in his mercy wanted to speak to them. And he wants to remind them and remind us that there are, if you like, the blessings of plan A against the curses of plan B. All right. God's got the blessings of plan A for every one of us. We are so rich in knowing him. And that's what he wants to speak to us today. So Albert E. N. Gray was an official of the Prudential Insurance Company of America, which I'm sure you're all aware of. And he was a highly sought after speaker. He spent his whole life searching for the one trait that made people successful. In 1940, so Mick, you should remember this. In 1940, his essay entitled The Common Denominator of Success revealed successful people's common characteristic 
And it wasn't hard work. It wasn't good luck. It wasn't astute human relationships, although all of these perhaps in some way have some impact. The one factor that he honed in on every person that was perceived to be successful was this, that they got into the habit of putting first things first. Life-changing, isn't it? Not really. They got into this habit. He observed that the successful person has a habit of doing the things that failures like me don't like to do. They don't like doing them either necessarily, but their disliking of these things is secondary to the actual purpose of doing them. So basically what he's saying is, you know, we all put off stuff. Your hands up if you put off, I put off stuff, things I don't really want to do. He's saying actually to be successful is you get in your mindset, you put those things first, get them out of the way, and then do the rest of your life. Well, Haggai was speaking into this sort of scenario, saying, guys, you've forgotten to put the first thing first. You're doing other things. You're making things more important. And his message to the people was to put God first again. That's his basic overarching mindset. You know, the four most common things for all of us to procrastinate. Okay, hands up if this is you. Feeling overly tired from your work at your job makes you want to procrastinate on other things. That's me. Being tempted by outside distractions unrelated to the task you're meant to be doing. Yeah, yeah. Guys, come on. No, not you two. No, sorry, not you two. I'm looking at my daughters, not you two ladies. This is, no, that's not us. No, no, no. Feel, this is a, maybe not quite so common. Feeling uncertain how to begin when the task seems so big and overwhelming. Yeah. And fourthly, not realizing the importance of the task and the consequences of it if it remains undone. Homework, essays, yeah? Well, you know, it's a good opportunity just to bring some parental input. <laughs> and you can't argue back in this situation, so it's all good. <laughs> You're very good, guys. I'm just pulling your leg. Haggai's written to people like us. We all put off stuff, don't we? We all make other things more important. And his message to the nation of Israel and the message to us is that we must remember to put the first things first. So he comes into this situation, 15 years, they've been living there. And what's happened is that they've started to, uh, if you know the story, that the, the original temple was destroyed as the uh, nation was taken over into exile. They come back and they've started on relaying the foundations of building God's temple. And really, that's as far as they got when Haggai was speaking into the situation. The foundations were there, but weeds and plants and everything else had started to overgrow the uh, foundations. And they'd almost forgotten, really, that their purpose was to rebuild this temple where God dwelt. 
And Haggai is saying to guys, you've put your priorities into other things. You've been looking at your own lives and your own homes. And, and as we see, he's, he always, yeah, he's quite strong with them. He said, look, you live in lovely places, but look what's happened to my temple. He doesn't mix his words. It's a testimony of misplaced priorities. And so his message is blunt. He pulls no punches and he wastes no words. So be ready for a ride again this morning. Do you remember Jeff Boycott, famous English cricketer? He is a man who is known for not mincing his words. If he thinks an England cricketer is playing terribly, you listen to him on his commentary. He's just, well, just think of Haggai being Jeff Boycott. I'm not sure he had a deep Yorkshire accent, but that is the mindset of Haggai. And we're going to look at uh, really his first book, uh, first chapter in his, in his book. Okay, so firstly, stop making excuses. Number one, stop making excuses. It's amazing when you, you can look this up yourself. I've got a few here for you. Have you ever looked up insurance claims for car accidents and the excuses that people write down? These are genuine applications for car insurance accidents that people write down about their accident. I was going to work this morning at 7 a.m. and I drove out of my drive and straight into a bus. The bus was running five minutes early. I was driving along when I saw two kangaroos catapulting in the, uh, capitulating in the middle of the road, causing me to go uh, jump and hit my head on the sunroof. That was from an Australian uh, claim. This accident happened because I had one eye on the lorry in front of me, one eye on the pedestrian, and the other eye on the car behind. I started to slow down, but the traffic was more stationary than I thought. On the approach to the traffic lights, the car in front of me suddenly broke. I was going about 70 or 80 miles an hour when my girlfriend on the pillion reached over and grabbed me and I lost control. I didn't see the speed limit applied after midnight. Windscreen broken, cause unknown, probably bad luck. These are all things that people have written on their applications for insurance. They make excuses. And Haggai was confronted with a people that continually made excuses. This is the beginning of his book. He writes this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, God's people, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. They had intended to go about this work, but they had decided that it was not yet time. They were making excuses. It's a great cause, you know, this building the temple. I'm right for it. But it's not right now. Do you know, we can be like that. Do you know, Alpha's a great cause. It's a good thing. I'm right for it. But you know what? It's not for me right now. We can make many, many excuses. Benjamin Franklin, 
president of the US, he said this, I never knew a man who was good at making excuses, who was good at anything else. I never knew a man who was good at making excuses, who was good at anything else. Are we somebody, are we people that just want to make excuses? We have lots of things going on in our home, day-to-day stuff. Washing up is the most common one, um, where all of us, including me, will try and wing out of it. Do do you all do that? There's a great pile of dishes. It may be, I need to, we've got a dog now. I need to go and walk the dog because I don't want to do the dishes. I need to go and clear up the lounge because you lot have made a mess. So it's a good thing for you to go and do that. Or it may be, we, a common one in our house is, I just need to go to the loo. That's a long time to go to the loo. All those sort of things, constantly making excuses. We can also make excuses in standing up our faith, standing up for God, speaking out, talking to our friends and neighbours, our work colleagues. So actually, it's easier for me to talk about something else than perhaps it is to talk about God. Good Friday is a good opportunity for us to stand up for what we believe in. And yet, I can think in the back of my mind, God, thank goodness I've got a day off work. I could do a few jobs around the house. I said, no, actually, I need to be there. I need to stand up for what I believe. We can be people that perhaps justify our non-behavior, particularly on the things that God wants us to do. Haggai said, don't make excuses. Don't put other priorities in front of putting me first. The first responsibility we have in getting things right is to not make excuses. Secondly, cease being selfish. Two quite closely related things of making excuses and being selfish. Now, any of you who have had smaller children of a certain age, one of the things that we used to watch was a thing called Veggie Tales. Now, some of you in the room will know about Veggie Tales. Uh, Veggie Tales is a, a Christian film company that reenact Bible stories with vegetables. It's an amazing concept. <laughs> it's great. It's, it's a, I'm selling it. They are brilliant. Most of my Bible knowledge is from Veggie Tale movies, I'm sure. And so these little these little vegetables are all different characters, and, and they each time they do a, a story, you know, it's a different different film. Well, one of the first stories we ever had. Can you remember what it was? Which was our first Veggie Tale story? Esther, bingo. You see, Hannah's she's an expert. So the story of Esther, and um, uh, no, uh, yes, yes, Esther was the first one we had. It wasn't the story I was going to talk about. The story I was thinking about was David, um, and David uh, in the story in Veggie Tales um, is called King George. They changed the names just to make it more fun, and King George um, has a love of rubber ducks. And so you see King George sitting in his bathtub with lots and lots of rubber ducks. And they they pick out the story of King David at the point where he is attracted to Bathsheba. You know that story? And basically they're saying in this story, King George, and he sees this other rubber ducky. 
across the across the road in a windowsill, and he says, "I want that rubber ducky." And uh, and they're saying, "But King George, you have all of these rubber duckies, and they're all exactly the same." And yet, selfishly, he wants this other rubber ducky. And one of the classic lines of this particular movie is, "King George, you are so selfish." And every time I hear the word selfish, I can hear King George in my head saying, "You are so selfish." But we can be a people that are incredibly selfish. Haggai is saying to these guys, "You have become selfish." What does he say in verse four? I haven't even read the this first verse bit, have I? Yes, I did. Verse four, he says, "It is time for you yourselves." Sorry, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house, talking about God's house, God's temple, remains a ruin? Is it a time, guys? You've come back. I've mercifully shown you a way back to the very place you wanted to go. And he said, "Come on, is it not a time where you have put everything?" That you wanted first, and now you've abandoned this call to build my house. And panelled houses here that the commentators, not necessarily as we would understand, perhaps in Rachel's historic world of nice oak walls and all that sort of stuff. Panelled houses were were houses that had a roof. They had a home to live in. They prioritised their own accommodation. At the expense of building the temple, there's nothing wrong with having a nice home to live in. That's not what God's saying. God's gracious; He loves us. He loves to bless us. But what Haggai is saying, what is wrong is that when you have a nice home and yet you abandon building my house, when you have money and resources and yet you've abandoned giving to me. When you've got time and energy, and yet you haven't given that to the building up of my church, Haggai's saying, "Guys, you've got your priorities wrong." And we can so easily drift in our own hearts. Joe, I love doing the things I love doing, the things that cause me joy and, and excitement and fun. I can pursue those things with lots of energy. I have lots of energy for things I enjoy doing. God's saying, "No, no, I want you to have energy for me again." Is our pursuit of these things the same as our pursuit of loving God? Or are we naturally living for ourselves, and the bent of our heart is towards selfishness, and not towards God? See, God, in His grace to us. Was willing to send himself. Andrew reminded that us first this morning of himself in Jesus. He could, and quite rightly, have abandoned us, and in many respects, probably should have, because of our rebellion. But our God is not a selfish God; He's a loving God, and He came for us. Okay, so thirdly. Haggai says, "Don't miss out on God's blessings." Verses five and six. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says: 
Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. They had been an extravagant people. They had done lots of things, and yet they had never got much to show for it. And I think just because I'm heading towards that sort of middle age, whatever that looks like, and when that starts and finishes, nobody knows, but I'm in that zone, I reckon. Do you know what? You can look back on life, can't you? And I'm sure all of us have done it to some degree. I think, well, what is, what is my life? What have I got to show for it? What? Where's the heritage, if you like, of me and, and, and what I've been able to accomplish and see God do? And you can look back and think, what have I done? I remember when we first got married, it's one of our little jokes, um, that uh, the things that we brought into our marriage. Um, so by the time we got married, I actually had a little flat, um, which is where we lived when we first got married. Uh, I think Catherine had a a single bed and a bedside cabinet. That's what she brought to our marriage. And so I was a, do you remember what you brought to us? It was just a bed and you know, I built you a house. We can look back and think, well, actually, what have I seen as I look back over my life? Do you remember the film um, Schindler's List? Ever seen Schindler's List? The story of Schindler, how he saved many, many Jews through the Holocaust. And at the end of this uh, quite traumatic but incredibly moving movie. Um, if you remember the scene where um, the authorities are catching up with Schindler and so he has to be taken off into safety and he's standing around this amazing crowd of people that he has saved from, from death and his nice Rolls-Royce car or whatever it was, chauffeur-driven car comes to collect him and he suddenly has this recollection of, well, if I'd sold my car, I could have bought another whatever it was, 20 people. If I'd given my ring, I could have got another two or three people. And suddenly he's recounting. He's done this amazing work, and yet he's thinking, I could have done more. And I think that in our own lives, we need to take perhaps a step back sometimes and think, okay, what has been the purpose of what God's called me to do? It's a sobering reminder that drifting through life actually has no purpose. God's given every one of us a purpose. And I want you to get to the end of your lives. I think, you know what? Jesus is going to say, well done. He's going to say, well done. It's not about you per se, but there is a challenge in this, in what Haggai is bringing. Jesus reminded us himself to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Seek first me. Put me first. And I will add all these other things to you. James writes, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives 
that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, James says, don't you know what friendship, that friendship with the world only means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the he who jealously longs for the spirit, he has calls to dwell in us. But he gives us more grace. And that is why the scripture says God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Therefore, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. James is hard-hitting. And yet his words to us are absolute truth. You don't get because you don't ask and you don't ask with the right motives. God, I want my life to count. I want you to be glorified through me. That's James's heart for us. Not that we have all the blessings of this world, but that we would be a blessing to those that we are around. Blessings come through obedience. And as we are obedient to him, he will use us. And fourthly, it's time today, on the 25th of March, to evaluate. Evaluate your life and where God is within it. Twice Haggai says in says it in verse five, give careful thought to your ways. And then he reminds them again in verse seven, this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. How carefully are you giving thought and I giving thought to my ways, to your ways? How self-serious, how serious are you about self-examination? See, being in a, a connect group is a great place for you to grow in your discipleship. Are you asking one another questions about how you're walking with God? When was the last time somebody said, Steve, or whoever your name is, how's your walk with God going? What's he saying to you? What are you experiencing him of the moment at the moment? Here's some other questions that you might want to ask. What is the greatest thing God has ever done for you? How are you treasuring Jesus more and more in your daily life? How are you growing in Jesus? If you were to trace a graph with your finger describing the ups and downs of your Christian life, what would it look like? And where is it now? <coughs> In what particular ways have you grown? I think Mick, it was Mick who said to us at the beginning of the year, so that actually by the end of the year, or it might have been Andrew, I can't remember who it was, somebody said it, at the beginning of our year, 
about what is our life going to look like? What's the goals of your life for this year? Are you seeing growth in those areas? How are you being challenged in your own pursuit for holiness? Honouring God in your life. Haggai wanted these people to stop what they were doing in their busy lives and to evaluate where they were up to. Evaluation is a good thing. Socrates, the classic Greek uh, philosopher, he wrote this, the unexamined life is not worth living. We need to take stock on where we're up to. If God is not first, what has become first? What has become the most important thing? We need to stop making excuses. We need to cease being selfish. We need to seek God's blessings and we need time to evaluate. How do we do that? How do we put God back first? Haggai helps us. Verse 8, he says this, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured. So I don't want you all to rush over to Hardy's Monument this afternoon with your saws in hands and start chopping down trees. But what he's saying is that actually, what is it for you that you have to do to put God back first in your life? What is the response that he's looking for you? Actually, do you know what, God? I know I need to change this. I need this, perhaps a behavior pattern, perhaps it's a mindset, perhaps it's a friendship, but I don't know what it may be. But what is the thing that you need to do to put God first? It may be as simple as, do you know, I just need to spend time with him again. Maybe it's I've just become somebody who doesn't enjoy serving people or got tired. And actually, I just need to do that again. Maybe it's, do you know what, I've held my money back. And I know God's calling me to step out again in faith, in generosity. There are lots of things that we can do so that God is honoured. Secondly, God is glorified when his temple is built. Now, we understand the sovereignty of God and that he is omnipresent. We understand that theology. We know what that means is that wherever you are, God is with you. We get that. We believe that. It's fundamental to who we are as Christians. But when we gather as his corporate people, God wants to meet with us. There's a dynamic that only happens when his people gather. Actually, I don't hear the prophetic word from other people when I'm on my own. I hear it when I'm with you. There's things that God wants to arrest me in on a Sunday or in my small group, or wherever it may be, that comes through as we minister to one another. So God, I believe, is absolutely glorified when we gather. Haggai's message was rebuild the temple. Message to us is keep building church. Keep building, keep pressing on, keep believing God's going to do a greater thing. And thirdly, 
God will bless us. Verse 13, Haggai says this. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So simple that God is with us. God is with us. When our priorities are wrong, when we get things all mixed up, when we get it totally out of kilter to what God wants, his promise to us is, I am with you. He is a God of absolute grace. And yet he wants us to live lives that glorify him, that put him first, that we don't get distracted by other things. And that when we get to the end of our lives, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Amen. I just want us to stand. If Rachel and the guys could just uh, come back.